Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I've got Dr. Glenn Pickering in studio today, so I'm looking forward to that. But I have my Bible open to the first chapter of James. And it says in verse 19, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So we're going to talk today about a number of topics, but the first one that we're going to chat about today is healthy ways to deal with anger. I think all of us have got some anger that we have stored somewhere that we got to deal with, process. Maybe we're uh, doing it uh, productively, maybe we're not, but <laughs> it's certainly, uh, I, I'm anxious to talk to Glenn, and if you have any questions, you can certainly send them over to 877 Eight four. Dr. Glenn Pickering is my guest, and he is uh, a more one of the more interesting people that I've known in my life. A um, little bit of everything, and he does everything well. Hmm. So that's that's how I'm going to introduce you today, Glenn. I like it. I'm going with it. Cool. <laughs> so let's talk about anger, um, and let's talk about uh, the healthy ways to deal with it. Great. I love that. Um, I'm going to start off with this. You know how you've heard me talk a million times about everything goes think, feel, do. That my thinking, you know, drives my feelings and my feelings drive my behavior. And so if I want to behave correctly when I'm dealing with an angry situation, I need to make sure first that my thinking is right. That's true in all circumstances, but it's especially true in these circumstances. And here's what I mean. Um, When it says in James about being, you know, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, they're trying to say this. Our knee-jerk reactions when it comes to dealing with anger are almost never the right ones. Mm -hmm. That first thought that comes to us, that impulsive response, that unthinking knee-jerk response are almost always the wrong one because it's not going to be a godly response. So when it says, you know, otherwise it does not work on God's righteousness, it does not bring about right relationship. And so we need to understand, first of all, that our thinking needs to be right. I I gave a talk once at our... um, monastery of all places and afterwards one of the monks came up to me and said glenn that was really helpful i loved what he said it was really great give me some good tools he said and it fits so much with one thing i've learned after living with all my brothers all these years he said if there's a difference between me and my brother or anything that's upsetting or anger producing between us he said if i can't go to talk to my brother about that in love i don't have the right to talk to him at all and when he said it, I thought, well, that's a pretty good point, that maybe he's too black and white, maybe a little over the top, but, but I kind of understood what he meant. But the longer I live my life, the more I think, no, he was exactly right. He wasn't kind of right. He wasn't mostly right. He wasn't sort of right. He was absolutely completely right. And so um, when, you know, it says in Matthew 18 um, about how, you know, if your brother has sinned against you or your sister has sinned against you, go and talk to your brother or sister. If they've heard you, you've gained a brother. And so Jesus is just trying to be clear. If somebody has done something that was hurtful to you or upsetting to you or that makes you mad, when you go to talk to them, unless your goal is to be back in right relationship with them, 
you're not on a godly path. Mm, I like that. So we have to be sure that when we talk to them that that's what we're trying to accomplish. Mm. And none of our knee-jerk reactions, let's be honest, have that goal. <laughs> and the other direction would be to lash out and maybe get a pound of flesh. And I know. Try to right. I think we do, so many, we do so many wrong things. We might think, I have to prove a point here, like I have to prove I'm right. Well, that's not going to lead to reconciliation because the only way to prove that I'm right is to quote-unquote prove that you're wrong or mm-hmm. bad or you're the one that's it in my little game of tag that I call it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not going to lead to reconciliation. Or, um, you know, sometimes we want to assign blame. Whose fault was it? And, of course, the underlying subtext is not me. <laughs> right? Right. Therefore, it has to be you. So you're to blame here, and I want to prove that to you. Um, or we go to them to try and justify our behavior. And I think... But God says, Glenn, I justified you already. You don't need just justify yourself. I already did. So we also don't need to go to our brother and sister to try and prove something or to justify ourselves or explain away our behavior, which is another thing we tend to do in our sort of defensive ego kind of thinking is to think we have to defend ourselves or justify ourselves. But that's not true either because God has justified me already. I'm already precious in his sight, so that's already done. So I don't have to try to make that be true. It just already is true. And finally, I think then we have so many just knee-jerk sort of automatic responses. And um, and that's just our ego talking. And, you know, you guys have heard me talk a bunch about becoming what I call a second responder. You know, I like that. I can feel that first response, that knee-jerk response. And trying to be a second responder is to notice that first response, slow down, try and hear the words that God would have me say instead of the words that come to my mind and then to say those words instead, and to sort of always come from that godly, prayerful sort of place. So there are lots of wrong ways to do anger, and actually only one right way. <laughs> and the right way has to be clear in my mind. I'm just, there's this thing between me and my brother. There's this thing between me and my sister that's keeping us from being in right relationship. And I want to get that straight between us so we can go back to being in right relationship. If that's not my goal, I'm not on a godly path. And I just have to be dead honest with myself about that. All right, I like that. And is there a place where anger is serving you, uh, where it, it's giving you de, the strength to tell somebody that they, they are violating your boundaries? Absolutely. See, I think that is, I mean, anger has a righteous purpose. That's why, so if somebody has done something that's hurtful to me, that was harsh to me, or physically hurtful, or emotionally hurtful, or verbally hurtful, anger gives me the courage to say, hey, that's not right. That's not okay with me. But again, to be clear, if I'm not careful, the energy that comes with that anger, the energy that God gave me so I could speak up and tell the truth, that's not okay with me. If I'm not careful, I use that energy in a sort of an adrenaline kind of way where I start lashing out or saying harsh things about them, at which point I've just literally lost the whole point of why God gave me the strength to speak up, which is to be back in my relationship. So right, anger gives me the strength to say, but I might not be able to do it myself, to be able to say, hey, I didn't like that. That felt bad to me. That hurt my feelings. That seemed mean to me. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Or even just, I wish we would do that differently. Mm-hmm. And those of us who are a little passive or a little shy or a little quiet, who maybe wouldn't be able to find it within ourselves to say that, if we're willing to slow down and let God be with us, that we can find the strength to just speak the truth about mm-hmm. that. Glenn, what if the person you're trying to pursue this right relationship with, and there's been... Uh, a problem, mm-hmm. 
and you look at what Paul says in Romans 12, verse 18, if it is possible, as right. far as Absolutely. it depends on you, live right. at peace with everyone. What if yep. this other person doesn't want to go down this path of right relationship? Right, and sometimes they won't. I, um, I'm often struck by, in Mark 10, the story of the you know, rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus doesn't think he's serious, so he kind of blows him off at first. But the guy kind of persists, and Jesus thinks, okay, well, maybe, you know, maybe you really are serious about it. So he tells him what he has to do. Quit thinking about yourself. Join our group so you're part of something bigger than yourself. And then our group's going to do some powerful ministry, so you'll be big, something part of something way, way bigger than yourself instead of being just totally so self-centered on yourself and your wealth. And the rich young ruler walks away. And I'm always struck by that's how the story ends. Jesus doesn't run after him. Oh, no, no, wait, maybe I didn't tell it to you right. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I, I invited you in the right relationship. But I really get, it's not up to me whether you accept or don't accept. It's just my job to invite. And it is our job to invite, I think, always. To always go to our brother and sister and say, I really want a relationship to be back to being right. And so I'm coming to you because I want it to be right. And maybe they're still hurt or maybe they're still upset or maybe right then they can't hear me. That's okay. But I still need to be clear, but that's still my goal. Yeah. Well, our DNA, we're 100% wired to try to justify ourselves, right? <laughs> yeah. Our ego kicks in pretty darn hard and we got to always a prove that we're right? okay. Yes. Yeah. So if we're always trying to defend ourselves and right. assign that the blame and it's not me. I know. Yep. Um, isn't isn't that going to be problematic? Because oh, it is problematic. If I go to you, Glenn, and go, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to talk to you about something, and all of a sudden, all I'm going to hear from you is, "Well, that's not my fault," you know. And right, right. I go, well, "That's not going to be pleasant interaction." Uh huh. Now, and I might very well get that inter- that reaction. It's not my fault. At which point, I always want to say, "Well, I'm sure it's not." <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Because it's always fifty fifty. Right. Which is part of why I need to come with the right mindset about wanting to be back in the right relationship because. You know, you've heard me say before, I always know this. If two people are arguing, I know the exact number of people who are listening, zero. And the exact number of people actually have a good point, two. Mm-hmm. So they're both trying to make their good point. They can both tell the other person not listening, so they make their point again louder. Um, and they both walk away probably mad. And one could look at the other and say, you weren't listening, you didn't hear me, which is probably half of what's true. But the other half is also, I probably didn't listen as well as to them as I could. I was probably a little too worked up myself. So if the other person says, it's not all my fault, I want to say, you know, you're probably right. We probably both had something to do with how that got off. Mm-hmm. That's part of why I want to be back here talking about being a right relationship. Because part of being a right relationship is we both acknowledge what our part might have been in how it got off track. So if the other person says, it's not all my fault, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure you're right. Glenn, in your, in your book on TAG, yeah. uh, you say what the question that, that you can raise with someone is what part of my behavior mm-hmm. is contributing to this issue that right. we're having. Exactly. and That's I think, a pretty mature thing to say. Well, gosh, thanks. <laughs> um, so um, I'm quoting you. I know, but I'm... And I I'm not that. even reading it. This I is from memory. I, I'm so impressed. That's, thanks. I, yeah. Oof, man, it's good to have a follower. Okay, so that brings me up to two... So, um, I think we should take a break though. Okay. Right now. Yeah. Dr. Glenn Pickering is my <laughs> guest. Go to Glenn Pickering. That's with two N's G L E N N P I C K E R I N G. That's his website, glennpickering.com. If you are interested and so inclined, he has this lovely offer about halfway down the page where you can uh, connect with him for a complimentary 20 minute discussion. You can learn a lot from Glenn in 20 minutes, I promise. And there's no strings attached to that. It's just, uh, 
a way of reaching and uh, extending himself to all the Faith Radio listeners. We'll take a short break. Be right back as we talk to Glenn on finding your voice. We want you to find your voice. Finding your voice, that's the topic of today with Dr. Glenn Pickering. We're examining what it's like to have uh, productive anger and some of the benefits of healthy ways to deal with anger. Make sure that you're finding your voice um, and you're letting somebody know that a boundary has been violated. And you can do that um, and try to restore your relationship and get it on the right track. I think that's that's the goal. It is the goal. And there's a reason why Jesus talks about that in Matthew about, you know, if your brother or sister hears you, you've gained your brother or sister, that we need to understand that from a godly perspective, being in the right relationship is always the goal. And so even when Jesus physically heals somebody, the next thing he says to them is go back into your community, go back into your faith community, go back to your family, go back to your town, go back to, in other words, be back in right relationship. And, um, and it just comes up over and over and over again. So even when they ask Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? I love that he cheats and gives them two. <laughs> <laughs> but they're both about being in right relationship, being in right relationship with our Lord, being in right relationship with one another. That's the two things that matter. So we need to understand, no matter how right we think we are, no matter how much we think, I have to prove a point that it's like, no, no, no. Unless our goal is to be back in right relationship, we're not doing a godly act. And mm-hmm. we just need to be so clear about that. Now, mm-hmm. once we are clear about that, and that is what we want, we just want to be back in right relationship, then we have to think, okay. So first of all, how do I deal with anger healthy? One, I have the right mindset and the right goal. Two, I have to have, I actually have to speak. I see so many people who get mad, and I, I'm for sure have been guilty about this throughout my life. And then they don't say anything, at which point it just sort of builds up and builds up so that if it does come out, of course, it all comes out way too big and way too intense. And is that because you don't ever have small angers? Right, exactly. Talk Thank about you that, much, sir. Thank you. I so will. I um I did used to work with people who um got referred to me for anger management problems. You know, the police were called, someone got taken out of the house, had to go see Glenn Pickering for anger management training. <laughs> and they would always say to me, Glenn, my problems, I'm too angry. And once in a great while, that was actually true. But a vast majority, and I mean more than 90%, actually weren't angry enough. So if anger is, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, and something happens at a 2.1, instead of saying, you know, I didn't really like that, that kind of bugged me. That kind of hurt my feelings. I've never really liked that we do it that way. They just don't say anything. And that happens and happens and happens and happens. And finally, it gets built up so bad that some little teeny thing happens. The dam breaks mm-hmm. and everything comes flooding out at one time, which the other person can't possibly handle because they just got handed a list of 117 crimes they've committed in the last six months. Like, what are they supposed to do with that list? Yeah. It's the jack-in-the-box theory. It's oh, that, gosh, yes. You know, it's that little half turn that and makes the guy pop suddenly, up. But it's everything that leads up to that. it. I love that. That's perfect. That's exactly right. And most of the time, it's just that little half turn. And yep. somebody goes... Suddenly, it's all... Disproportionately mad. Yeah, way, like, way, way, so way mad out about? of proportion. Yeah. Right. And so, um, so that's part of why I said... So first of all, we have to have our mind right. Second of all, we do have to speak. And that certainly involves being small mad. Not hold it in. Not stuff it. Not be always resentful. Not pretend it didn't happen. Not do all those things where we don't speak. Because I just think, yes, there are some people when they express their anger, they speak in ways that are really harsh. 
And there are also people who, when they get angry, don't speak at all, which honestly, in the end, has exactly the same effect on the relationship. They both create distance. And when we realize that the word sin literally translated means separate or to separate, well, whether I'm silent and that separates me from you, or I'm loud and that separates me from you, either way, I'm I'm creating division in that relationship. Mm-hmm. So, And Glenn, a small mad doesn't necessitate a, a, a negative disposition, does it? No, in fact, it's exactly the opposite. Okay, say more about that. Well, I just think we say people who are crabby, and mostly it's because they have all this bitterness, all this resentment in them. So then, like you just like you said a second ago, it doesn't take much to trigger them and make them say some icky, crabby, irritable sort of thing, because they don't speak up, they don't take good care of themselves, they probably don't have a quiet time. They're not doing the things that keep them centered and joyful mm-hmm. so then all you ever get out of them is sort of those weird short crabby sort of sayings and i think wait because they don't speak up about the things that actually matter so it all comes out in weird sideways ways in those sort of crabby irritable sort of ways instead of just speaking up about the things that make them irritated or sad or upset or hurt when it happens so rule number one once my mind is straight is i do need to say something there are lots of ways of not speaking up. One is just to say nothing. I've been great at that. Another one is to pretend you don't have an opinion. I used to be great at this too. Um, I would be in a group of half a dozen people. We're going to go out to lunch. Somebody would say, hey, Glenn, where do you want to go? Well, I don't know. I don't care. Whatever you guys want. <laughs> you're, my, you're my favorite person to go to lunch with. Yes. Like suddenly I don't Good. Have a, I get to pick. <laughs> I know. Like suddenly I don't have a brain in my head and an opinion of my own. Yeah. And I think, what? I um, Anyway, so... Pretending we don't have an opinion is just another way not to speak up. And then, see, here's the trick. So I would say, oh, I was just trying to be nice or trying to be loving or trying to be helpful. But I realized, no, I wasn't. I, um, I just got convicted about this one time. And this will seem unrelated at first, but I promise it's the same. Early on in my marriage, I'd say, well, there's this one thing, but I really don't want to talk to Gwen about that because it'll just be upsetting to her. And in my prayer time with God, God just drove me to my knees like, you're not... You say you're not talking to Gwen because that would be upsetting to her, like you're protecting her. Mm-hmm. You don't want to talk to her about it because she might be upset with you. <laughs> you're not protecting her, you're protecting you. And the instant I was just really dead honestly clear with myself about that, I just couldn't <laughs> do it anymore. You know, it's like busted. But yeah. like when God shows you something, it's not mean. But once you see it that clearly, I mean, I mean, you can't see it differently after that because God has just shown something to you so clearly. So I just know that just like not saying anything will lead to a buildup of resentment and anger. So I was just saying, oh, I don't know, whatever you guys want. Because if you talk to those people, you see on the inside, they're mad because they never get their way. They say things like, nobody ever asked about my opinion. Nobody cares what I want. And I think, yeah, because you always pretend you don't care. And it's like, so whether I don't say anything or I say something like I don't care, either way, I'm going to end up that bitter, resentful person who feels like I never get what I want. And I don't. But, and I want to blame everybody else, but, you know, it's like so often the person who's responsible for all my troubles is walking around wearing my clothes. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem person. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. But you just get him to shape up. I know. <laughs> the rest of my all life your problems would be, would be solved. <laughs> that's right. Just get that clown straightened right, out. Right, right. And, and the final other way of being silent is to just sort of go along, like, um, this used to happen early on in our marriage. I would come home on a Friday night, which is, you know, oftentimes me and Gwen's date night, and I'd say, hey, I really feel like going out to eat. What do you think? And she said, that sounds great, and we would go. And honestly, it took me an embarrassingly long time to realize that's not a mutual decision. 
I said, here's what I want. I asked you what you want, and you didn't say. You just said, that sounds great. Well, that's just another way of not speaking up. Mm-hmm. Again, which is just another way in the end of never getting what you want, never feeling like you have a voice, never feeling like you matter. So part of having a voice is, like, okay, I'm not going to do that thing where I don't talk. I'm not going to do that thing where I just, you know, pretend I don't have an opinion. And I'm not going to do that thing where I just mindlessly agree with everybody else. I'm just going to say what I actually think. Now, sometimes people can say, well, Glenn, this is about anger. It's about speaking up when you're angry. I think, see, but if I don't speak up about everything, how am I ever going to speak up when I'm mad? I literally have to practice speaking up about the littlest stuff. So when it's time to speak up about being mad, I actually have the skill to do that. Mm-hmm. So Good point. I want to start off by practicing when somebody says, hey, Glenn, where do you want to go out to eat? By saying, well, there's a couple of places I think would be fun. Literally just to practice actually finding my voice and speaking up because otherwise now there's a conflict which is more uncomfortable and now I'm going to speak up even though I can't even speak up about where I want to go out to eat. I mean, very unlikely. So part of being able to speak up when there's a conflict is learning how to think. I'm just going to start speaking up about all sorts of things mm-hmm. as a way to practice, kind of build up that muscles, if yeah. so to speak. All right, Glenn. Um, yeah. Talk about the, you say use I language when right. speaking. Thank you. Uh, but so, also, if you would, talk about the tone and yes. the delivery system. Thank you. Absolutely. I didn't feel heard. Uh-huh. Oh, boy, that's right. Or versus right. I didn't feel heard. Right. Thank you, because that tone is often used. But here's, here's why I put that thing down about I language. So the flip side of not speaking, that's half of the time that somebody doesn't speak or doesn't do anger well is because they're not speaking at all. The other half of time when it goes wrong is they're not speaking about themselves, they're speaking about the other one. You never listen. You out blah. You never hurt my feelings. You don't care. You're too sarcastic. You're, see, and now of course I'm going to get a defensive response because that doesn't come across like an invitation to a conversation or relationship. That just comes across as a, a threat? That threat or I'm, making you feel like a bad person. You're you in fight like, or flight mode. Yes. And so yeah. now you either shut down or you start backpedaling. That's not going to go well. So any sentence that starts with that word you followed by the word ours or never is going to lead to a real bad conversation. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no there's no right answer to it. So if, if Gwen says, honey, that thing you just said kind of hurt my feelings. Okay. She's just telling me about something that happened to her. That kind of hurt my feelings. Okay. I can deal with that. If she says, you are always so sarcastic, you're too sarcastic. See, I, I mean, there's no, I don't have a right response to that. Yeah. So it's just important to stay with the eye language. So I'm going to say, hey, that hurt my feelings, or I didn't really feel heard with that kind of tone like you talked about. I wish we could spend more time together. I wish we could kind of build each other up more often. In other words, I'm trying to invite you into a conversation as opposed to you feeling attacked. Yeah. Because attacked people don't listen well. <laughs> it sounds like a skill set that you have to develop. It is. Yeah. And partly it's a skill set, but partly it comes from that mindset of always remembering, I'm trying to find a way back in the right relationship, not a way to make you feel bad. Yeah, excellent point. Dr. Glenn Pickering is my mm-hmm. guest. You have a question or a comment, let me know what it is. You can text it over to 877-933-2484. We'll be back in just a minute.
Finding your voice. That's what we're talking about today with Dr. Glenn Pickering. We're um, glad that he is with us today. We've got the whole hour with him, so another 30 minutes. If you have a question, shoot it over, 877-933-2484. We're uh, so far talking about healthy ways to deal with anger. All right, so I just had a question come in, Glenn. Yep. That's my wingman, Terry. He said, my question concerns anger in the workplace. Oh, okay. Specifically being a Christian in a secular workplace where my coworkers who live very comfortable worldly existences where cursing, living an alternative sexual lifestyle, things that are normal and accepting in our culture, but tends to offend me and where my frustration slowly builds until my blood pressure is through the roof. How do I approach a person who believes they're doing nothing wrong and I'm the one with the problem because of my faith and beliefs? Um, Now you're going to think I'm being silly, but I start off assuming I'm the one with the problem. Here's what I mean. I could go to that person and say, again, that you language, you use faux language, you're too secular, you're, I mean, to make all those accusations, I'm going to get their same defensive response, of course, and that will go nowhere. I'm going to start by claiming, I know I'm kind of unusual in this group, but I find that language hurtful. Mm. I know it's just me and not everybody thinks the same as me, but I find that way of talking to each other upsetting. So again, remember, I'm just telling you something about myself. I'm not here to judge you. I'm just going to use that eye language. I'm going to tell you how this is affecting me. And even if nobody else is affected by that, I'm just, and even if they say, well, nobody else says that, I'm still going to say, oh, I believe you. I'm just telling you that's upsetting to me or that's hurtful to me yeah. or that feels how bad did you, to me. How did you preface that again? You, you prefaced I'm, it before gonna, you said that I'm going to start upsetting. out by saying, hey, I get this is probably just me. Okay. Because I get it just might. Even if I have six friends and one of them says, Glenn, that way you just addressed the group felt bad to me, I want to know that. Mm-hmm. Even if it only hurt them, I want to know that. Because sometimes the preface is really important. See, preface. that's what I'm, see, that's what I'm, and because remember, it starts with my thinking. And I want to be really clear in my thinking. I'm not going to go confront you about how bad you are. I'm literally just going to tell you this thing about myself that's putting a block between me and you so we can get rid of that block and be back in right relationship. And if I'm not, and you know, Jesus always said, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? You don't see the log in your own eye. So I'm going to go in claiming my 50%. I get this is just how it is for me. But for me, that kind of language is hurtful. So even if you just didn't do it around me, I'd really appreciate it. No judgment, mm-hmm. no you language, no making anybody else a bad one, but also no tippy-toeing around the situation. I'm just claiming this is what's happening for me. So you would be having the strength to tell someone that your boundaries have felt... Exactly. They've been squeezed a little bit. Exactly. And you I'm know? just speaking up in a way that I'm hoping will put us back in the right relationship. And even if they say, well, nobody else cares or something like that, I'm going to say, you know, it's probably true. Yeah. I'm really, I'm just here to tell you, for me, that's hard. I'm not judging you. I'm... I'm not here for anybody else. I'm just telling you, for me, that's hard to be around. Period. And that's taking a risk as well, isn't it? It is taking a risk because being vulnerable is always taking a risk. But what are my alternatives? I either be silent, like I said before, or I lash out about how terrible a person they are. Well, neither one of those is going to lead the right relationship. Mm -hmm. And I can't kid myself that either one of those are going to do godly work. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. What do you do if you feel like you are not being heard? Um, and I thought to myself, if a person says to me, Glenn, I feel like I'm not heard, I'm going to start with the assumption they're probably right. Okay. I'm also going to start with the assumption there might be 50% of why that's right. You know, I'm always going to start with, okay, what's my part of that? So 
I'm going to start with, I believe you, because I do. If somebody says, Glenn, I feel unheard in lots of places, I'm going to think, okay, it's probably true. So, um, so my first question will be about you. So um, am I speaking up? Am I using that skill that Glenn was talking about a little bit earlier? Am I willingly to lovingly disagree with somebody if I disagree? Not harshly, but just to say, well, I disagree. Here's kind of what I think. Um, am I willing to listen to others? Because if I don't listen to others because I'm always talking, then I think, well, see, nobody wants to listen to me either. They start tuning me out. So I also have to ask, am I holding up my end? Because I want people to listen to me. Fair enough. It's a good goal. First, I have to ask, am I being that kind of a listener that I would want from other people just to make sure that I'm not seeing the speck in my brother's eye but not seeing the log in my own eye? And finally, I'm just going to ask myself this. And are there people or situations where I'm most likely to shut down, where I tend not to speak up? Because if I get a clearer sense of what those people are or what those situations are, I can kind of start practicing how I want to do those differently. So if somebody says, Glenn, I'm, not, I'm often not hurt, I'm going to start off thinking, I believe you with everything in me. First, we're going to start with you. When we get that part right, then we're going to talk about what to do with everybody else. You know what I mean? But first, we want to talk about what are you, what's your half of how you might not become coming you know, being taken seriously by the people around you. Um, so once a person's willing to do that, then I say, okay, now we can start dealing with everybody else. So for example, if there's a time when you're not feeling heard, you know, it's your job to graciously say, I didn't actually feel like you heard me. I, I didn't feel heard right then. I, I'm not sure you really understood what I just said. I might, I might even start with, I'm not sure I was really very clear about what I said because your response makes me think maybe I said that really poorly. Let me try that again. So, so benefit of the doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of grace. Absolutely. Absolutely. I always wanted to start with, it might have been me. Because let's be honest, 50% of the time it was me. <laughs> so I yeah. want to start off with the assumption it very well could have been me. And here's how that felt to me, or here's what happened from my end. So... I do want people, same thing, I do want people to learn how to speak up graciously, but first I just want to make sure they're kind of taking their own inventory. Am I acting in ways that allow other people to hear me, to take me seriously? Or am I kind of quiet or just agree with people or don't really say much? Well, then of course people aren't listening to you because you never actually tell your truth. So there's nothing for them to listen to, really. So first I have to take my own inventory. Then I want to think, okay, and how do I start speaking up about that? And... um and even if I do start telling people when I don't feel heard, I will still want to remember, I'm still going to use that I language. I'm not really feeling heard right now. I think you might have missed the point I was trying to make. I might have been maybe unclear. Is it okay if I come back and do that one again? I always want to start with that language. So I, I just want to be really clear. Even if I feel unheard, it's important to remember, my goal is still to be back in right relationship, to make sure we understand each other. And I have to be just rock solid clear that that's my goal. And then I get to say, I didn't really feel heard right there. Okay? Great. Well, what happens when you're having f- physiological responses? And, <laughs> and, and you will. Honestly, your heart's racing a little bit. And yep, absolutely. And your blood pressure's up. Yep. Um, and you want to be as calm as you are right now in the studio. Right. Role-playing how easy it is to sound the way you sound, but you're not in the moment. Right. Yep. This is part of why I so often talk to people about being, about being second responders. If I'm in a situation where I'm not feeling heard or where there's a conflict, I mean, there's a very good likelihood that I have adrenaline coursing through my system. And one of the things a lot of people have heard me talk about before is this fascinating study that came out a little while ago now that showed that when adrenaline is coursing through our system, that the blood flow to our prefrontal cortex pretty much stops. 
which means we're not thinking. <laughs> the part of our brain that comes up with thoughts isn't actually working. Yeah. Which makes sense. If I'm being chased by a wild animal, I want all my energy. Yeah, you gotta I, run. There's no thinking. All, all my energy should go to my muscles and the parts of my brain that control my muscles. That's it. I can think later. Right. right? <laughs> when I'm back in right. my cave thinking. <laughs> yeah. So um, so it's important to understand. At that moment, anything I say will be the wrong thing. Like I literally don't have a hope of saying the right thing because the brain, then part of my that actually works and comes up with good coherent thoughts isn't even working. <laughs> so this is why it's helpful to give ourselves a time out. I say to couples, I teach them about taking a gracious time out. If you can feel the adrenaline kicking in, you are now virtually certain to have a really bad conversation. I want both of you to walk outside or pray or sit down until the adrenaline wears off, and then I want you to come back to the situation and have a conversation because while that's happening, you're not going to be able to. Yeah, so it's really a timeout, isn't it? Yes, I literally give myself a timeout. <laughs> this mm-hmm. just happened to me yesterday. Gwen said something, and I thought she was kind of coming from a fearful place, and I thought I could just feel the, the sort of reaction inside of me, and I thought, boy... I can literally tell right now that I would not be able to be in this conversation. So I said, can we come back to this? Because I can tell. Did you run into a corner and read one of your books? <laughs> yes, I find my own voice very comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> what do I do? I don't know. Give me one know. of my books. I'll figure it out. <laughs> I was in a Christian school one time. They had this little cartoon on the wall. Jesus, he looks at his wrist and it says, what would I do? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but if I know these rules ahead of time, I am going to speak. I'm not going to hold it in. I'm going to wait till I can take a deep breath. I'm going to come up with a sentence that starts with the word I, and then I'm going to speak. And if I just know all those ahead of time, I call it deciding to decide. I'm going to decide now that that's what I'm going to do then. I'm going to slow down, catch my breath, give it a second thought, come up with a sentence that starts with the word I, and then I'm going to speak. I can mm-hmm. decide all that before I'm ever in that situation, which is actually the only reason we can stay calm because we've already made all those decisions. Mm-hmm. Glenn, here's a thoughtful remark from Rosella. Yeah. When I was young, I learned that expressing anger would lead to additional abuse. Right. I suppressed anger and absorbed yeah. it as a hurt. Yes, absolutely. And A, my heart goes out to you. B, so you learn to not talk which was your most constructive option at that point. Mm-hmm. And I so often think all of us who are on any kind of a Christian journey, what we're going to find is at some point we're going to have to give up whatever tool we use to get through the stuff we got through before this. And so if I came from that place, I just learned to keep thoughts to myself. That's how I stay safe is keep my thoughts to myself. If I'm going to grow as a Christian, grow in community, grow in caring relationships, grow in my ability to connect to other people, I'm going to have to find a way to give up that one thing that got me to where I got so far. But how and far I, did it get you? I know. Well, it gets you to about a B minus life. Okay. C plus, somewhere in there. But that's kind of the best I'm going to do. If I want an A plus life, I'm going to have to find a way to get past all those old strategies I used. And I say to my clients all the time, please don't judge your old strategies. Your old strategies helped you to create a B-minus life instead of a D-minus life. That's huge. It helped you get to where you are. And I want to honor that it helped you get to where you are. And now if they get a step further, you're going to have to let go of that crutch and find a better way to start walking because that crutch has gotten you literally as far as it's going to get you. Mm-hmm. That's a lot to think about. Let me take a little break. Uh, Dr. Glenn Pickering is my guest. Go to glennpickering.com if you want to check out his website. He offers a lovely invitation 
for a complimentary 20-minute conversation. And you can get a lot from Glenn in 20 minutes. So there's no obligation. It's just a a benefit to Faith Radio listeners uh, because there's people listening all over the country. And he is here in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. And you can uh, connect with him at glennpickering.com. Take a short break and be back. That's our topic today with Dr. Glenn Pickering. We're talking about ways to have healthy anger and then what happens if you don't feel like you're being heard. So that's the topics we've covered to this point. And Glenn, I think we've got maybe a little bit more time to talk about how can I be just truly in Christ versus feeling like a victim? You know, that's a great question. And I actually spent a lot of time talking to people about it. And here's how come. Somehow, we as Christians have been taught that we're supposed to be nice. And I think that is a really, really, really unhelpful thought, and here's how come. I used to think, and I was raised to believe this with everything in me, that the opposite of being nice was being mean. I don't want to be mean, so then I have to be nice. But I really get now, the opposite of being nice is not being mean. The opposite of being nice is being good. Here's what I mean. Uh, being a nice just means there's a whole list of things I won't do. I don't cut in line. I don't be sarcastic. I don't put people down. I don't burp in church. I could literally do nothing and be nice. Whereas if you see Jesus as role model, see, he was always trying to do the positive, the thing that would actually make a positive difference in the lives of the people that came to him. So he wasn't trying to avoid doing the wrong thing. He was always trying to do the powerfully right thing. And we need to understand, those are not the same. In fact, they're totally different. And I see so many Christians who are raised to see the same thing, or see the same way I was raised, like being Christian means being nice. Well, see, now we're back to all the stuff we talked about so far. Stuffing my anger, pretending I'm happy, not speaking up, blowing stuff off, holding it in, building resentment, all that kind of stuff, because I don't want to be not nice. So I think... If I'm a Christian, but I think I have to be nice, I do sort of feel like a victim, like I have to kind of let stuff happen to me. And I think, no, read the Bible. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like, which I don't mean sarcastically. It's like, no, the Bible is about taking a powerfully strong right stance about things. (laughs) It's about trying to make a powerful difference in people's lives. There are no stories in the Bible where God or an angel comes down to earth and says to somebody, I came all the way down here to tell you this, keep doing what you're doing. There's also not a story that says, but make sure you don't hurt anybody's feelings. <laughs> yeah. So I just think, okay, so we all have lots then. If, we really, if we're really serious about being in Christ, here's what's going to happen. Remember I said, we all have certain things that hold us to sort of a B-minus life, but God wants us to live an A-plus life, like a really big, interesting, powerful, fulfilling life. But we all have thoughts that keep us from doing that. And some of those thoughts might come from our earlier experiences with you know, if you grew up in poverty, you might think you can never have nice things. If you grew up with really controlling parents, you might think it's not okay to speak up. 
if you grew up in relationships or families where the relationships were all distant or super immature, in fact, there's a great book out there now about, you know, what to do if you grew up with immature parents, um, which I highly recommend. I'll try and get the name of that book to you. Or if you grew if in sports, you had some early failures in it. It's so easy to tell ourselves, we'll say, I'll never have money. I can never speak up. I'll never be in the right relationship. I'll never be able to play that sport. I'll never be able to do all those things. So we have lots of limiting thoughts that keep us from even trying to live that sort of big life. And I'll just say in passing that, we, you know, because of what I've talked about with you before, Bill, about epigenetics, we literally also, we not just inherit the kind of color, the color of our hair or how tall we're going to be, we inherit the brain our parents gave us, and that brain already has certain thoughts in it. So we also inherit certain thoughts. Like, I grew up with a fear of heights. Well, nobody, I never had a scary experience with being in a tall place. I mean, I just, like, somehow I inherited that fear. We inherit all kinds of thoughts about what we can and can't have. So we can tell, and this is what, but do they come to understand? We can tell that we're having one of our limiting thoughts, whether we learned it or whether we literally just inherited it. It almost always starts with the word I, followed by some no word. I can never have that. I'll never be able to do that. I'm not like other people. I don't really have a choice. I don't. I can't. I won't. I never. I won't be able to. And any of those thoughts that we have, literally, you know, Jesus says in John 10, I came that you might have a life and you might live it in abundance. I mean, we're supposed to have a big life. But those limiting thoughts really keep us from really hearing Jesus' call to have this really big, important life. So I always think this. So because all of our limiting beliefs start with I, 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 and all the things I can't have or can't do, I always think to myself, we need to remember being in Christ is not a do-it-yourself endeavor. <laughs> It's not a self-help book. <laughs> Being in Christ means I'm in relationship with Christ. And so all those limiting beliefs I have about what I can't do or I can't achieve or I can't have, it's like, yeah, but you're not alone in this life. Christ walks powerfully with you. And you know, I said on the show a few times ago about how it's like I have this huge, amazing, powerful person who wants to be in my team. And I said on the radio, and People said they really liked it, that, you know, one plus a million is a really big number. And if it's me and the world's most powerful force on my side, well, that's a pretty amazing team. That's a big number. Yes, and I need to remember, I'm on this really powerful team. So the instant I hear those thoughts about how I can't do this or that, I need to remember, but it's not just me. I'm on this really, really big team. I'm just a member of that really, really big, powerful, amazing team that gives me the energy and the vision to have this big A-plus life, which I couldn't literally not accomplish by myself. Mm-hmm. So um, so whether it's in conversation and I can feel myself having that knee-jerk habit, see, I need to understand, I at this point cannot come up with a better response. I can't. So if you see me in a conflict, you're going to see I stop, I nod my head, I look up and to the left where me and God have a little prayer moment. And then I come back in the room. Because I know I, by myself, am not going to be able to come up with a better sentence. I'm not. But me and God, if I just take a second, are going to come up with a way better way of dealing with this. And so sometimes people say, Glenn, how do you stay so calm? And I think, yeah, you don't get it. I swear, it's not about me. It just isn't. I'm more anxious than the average person. But I just know if I go to the place where me and God are thinking together, we're going to come up with a way better answer, a way better response. And it's the same thing with our vision. I could say, well, I, you know, so Jesus said in Matthew 7, ask and it shall be given unto you. And people always want to put a but in the end of that sentence, but there's no but. 
oh, yeah, but if it's the right thing to ask for, oh, yeah, but I would never want to ask to make more money. Or, oh, but I, it's like, there's no but. Jesus said, ask for what you want. God's most dangerous question for us is, what do you want? Oh, golly. Um, and so we need to understand we have this powerful teammate on our side who just wants to know what we want and who then will literally move heaven and earth to make that possible. So we can't be nice. We have to be good. And we can't be good by ourselves. We can't do it, but we don't have to do it because we're called to live this life in Christ with the world's most amazing teammate. Mm-hmm. Let's say that you had an experience when you were in fourth grade and you threw the baseball to first base and you missed by 20 feet and <laughs> the coach said, you're so uncoordinated. I can't believe you're even on the field. So you and saw that game. <laughs> I said to say that game, yeah. yeah. You were so off, Glenn. I couldn't even believe it. But there, you know, if I'm, if I'm the enemy, I want to injure you at the youngest age right. I can Absolutely. and create some kind of pain or, right. or um, confusion. Yep. Which will keep you stuck. So, is there yeah. is there some spiritual strongholds, Glenn, Absolutely. in the middle of this? That Absolutely. We can... And thank you for saying it like that because it's so true. Every sentence I say about what I can't have or can't do or won't do is a spiritual stronghold. Okay. My ego is running my life. Okay. My ego learned I can't do that because somebody told me. And I don't want to be embarrassed again. My ego always wants to protect me, so I don't even want to try because my ego says, Glenn, you just get hurt, so don't do it. You'll just look stupid. Um, and so there's a spiritual stronghold there, and I have to decide, okay, am I going to believe God who said, Glenn, you can do, and I can help you do whatever you truly want with your whole heart? Or my ego says, oh, Glenn, don't try. You'll probably get hurt again. And, and there is a spiritual battle. Like, which of those voices am I going to believe? Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, the ego one is louder. <laughs> When the scriptures say that God talks in that still small voice, they're not kidding. So I have to slow down long to be prayerful to actually hear that voice because the ego is screaming and God talks gently. <laughs> so maybe there's folks tonight that have some work to do uh, in terms of prayer. Yes, you know, In terms absolutely. of asking Christ to come in and break some of those That's what I think too. decade-old bonds. Absolutely. And for me, when I'm asking God to break one of those bonds, I'm at, I say to God, please help me just see what's true. Show me the truth. Just show me what's actually true about this thing that I believe. Because probably, let's say I have this belief, I'm terrible at baseball, I'm always going to be bad at it. My little ego comes up with, or or I could think, I could be great at baseball. If I'm practiced, I could be the best ever. Well, that's probably not true either. But that's kind of the best my ego can come up with. But God's going to come up with a way gentler, way truer answer than that. Like, Glenn, you can actually be better at baseball if you want to be. But is that really what you want to do? Well, see, that's a gentle question, not a mean question, not a justifying question, just a very gentle question. Glenn, is that what you really want? Your ego thinks you have to prove something to somebody, but if you know you don't have to prove anything, and you're only called to live the life you're called to live, not sort of up to somebody else's expectations of you, what's the life you want to live, and how can I help you? And it's quite okay to try stuff and yeah, not be good at it. Exactly. And if I don't do good, well, I don't do good. It's a learning experience. But see, that ego voice wants to take it into a black and white way. See, that was stupid. Don't ever do that again. When the truth is, if I try something, and it turns out I'm not very good at it, I probably would be good at something that's sort of like that. Mm-hmm. Because, um, how can I say? Well, so... I was in track when I was in high school, and, you know, I always wanted to be good at sprinting, but I'm just not built for that. And so if I just went by my results of that, I would think, oh, I can't do track at all. 
the truth is, I'm actually pretty well built for doing distances. If instead, I, instead of just saying, "Well, I'm just going to always be bad at that thing," okay, what part of that could I be good at? Right. That's a way more helpful question. Way more helpful. Fast hour, Glenn. We're already done. Wow. Look yeah. At that. Thank you so much. Uh, my guest has been Dr. Glenn Pickering, and if you go to his website, and that's G L E N N P I C K E R I N G Glenn dot com. Is a lovely invitation. If you would like to scroll down, have a no-obligation 20-minute conversation, he will arrange that, and you can uh, learn a lot from him in 20 minutes. So, Glenn, thanks again for coming in, helping thanks people find me. their voice. We'll take a little break. When we come back, Hour 2 is ahead with our prayer series, which we're going to continue through the month and then move on to another topic yet to be determined. And <laughs> in other words, we haven't figured it out yet. Yeah, of course not. It's a polite way of saying it, though. And... Dr. Peter Kapsner and I will be hosting uh, Pastor Robert Morgan. We're going to talk about his prayer life as he went through the care of his wife who was suffering with MS and then her passing and what his prayer life has been like ever since. That's all ahead coming up on Hour 2. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.